0: Good morning. How are we doing? Good deal. My name is Ben. Most of you probably know me because typically up here doing announcements and things like that, but uh, I get to share with you this morning. I'm really excited about doing that. Uh, and we're actually going to be in Matthew 28. So I want to go ahead and invite you to turn to Matthew 28. If, uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen, obviously, but if you'd like a physical copy, like to follow along. Just raise your hand and our ushers would be glad to bring you uh, a copy of God's Word. And uh, just kind of keep them up so they can see it. Uh, and if you don't own a copy of God's Word for some reason and would uh, like to keep this one, we'd love for you to have it. Uh, just take it home and read it and dig in. It'll be good. Um, yeah, so Matthew 28. So uh, we're going to be talking today about making disciples uh, a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. Um, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to do that uh, at the end of this chapter. I actually want us to read the whole chapter together to gain a little bit of context because I love context. Uh, but before we do that, let me remind you a couple things about Matthew. So this is Matthew, right? And Matthew uh, was one of the 12 apostles. He was a disciple of Jesus. And if you remember, Matthew was, uh, he was a tax collector before Jesus called him to follow him. And if you know anything about tax collectors back in those days, they were basically traitors to their, to their country. You know, the Jewish people at that time were living uh, in a land that was ruled by the Roman Empire. So the Romans were in charge, and the Romans let the Jewish people have a, a certain amount of freedom to do some stuff, but ultimately Rome was in charge, and, and Rome taxed them however much they wanted to, and it, it definitely was taxation without representation. They had no choice. And what to make matters worse they would often hire or get people from, they, they would get the Jewish people to actually collect taxes from their fellow countrymen. And so that was, it was kind of a traitorous act. And Matthew was one of those guys. He would not have been thought of as a good guy. He would have been thought of as a sinner and as a traitor. And Jesus sees him and he says, Matthew, come follow me. Jesus intentionally went among the people that we might not want to be around. And he, follow, he, he invites them to follow him as well. And so that's this Matthew. And this Matthew writes this for us. So let, let me pray for us and then let's read this scripture. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take a, a text that's very familiar for us, most likely. we've been around church, and I pray that you would make it fresh and new, and Lord, give us deep insight into what you're calling us to do. Lord, just be with me. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit power, because I have no power in and of myself to do anything here today, and Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd be with all of us and help us to receive Whatever it is the Holy Spirit would like to say to our hearts. Because we're in all different places today, Lord. Some of us rejoicing. Some of us far too busy. Some of us deeply hurting. Some of us doubting. And we desperately need to hear from you. To know, again, that you're real and that you love us. And so, Lord, would you whisper whatever you need to whisper to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, Matthew... A sinner, tax collector, wrote this gospel. And here's what he said in the last chapter. He says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. So the angel invites a man, come, see where he laid. He's not here. He rose. But come see where he laid. Then go quickly And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, these two women. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, as I read that, it it reminds me of this place in uh, The Return of the King and Lord of the Rings where Sam runs into Gandalf, and he doesn't know that Gandalf is alive. He says, with that, this is Tolkien, with that Gandalf stood before him and robed in white, his, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? He said. But Sam laid back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf! I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to this world? That's the moment they're having. Jesus, you're alive. Is everything sad going to become untrue? What's happening to this world? Let's keep going. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, he will satisfy him uh, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day, and I would add, even to this day. And I pause again at this point in the story and go, what would cause you to want to be part of this deception if, if a guy really did just rise from the dead? There was an earthquake. If you're a guard, there was an earthquake. You saw an an angel. You, You trembled as if dead. And you go and tell them what happened, and they say, hey, here's the plan. You tell this lie. Here's some money. Keep it quiet. Why would you be part of that? And there's a lot of answers to that. But at least one of them is that this is an intentional Demonic deception. You see how Jesus, or excuse me, you see how the devil is trying to keep the news from getting out? He doesn't want people to really believe and know that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the devil has an agenda, and that agenda is to keep people from faith, to keep them from seeing that Jesus really is the Messiah, to keep them from making the the great confession that we heard about last week that Peter made, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that verse, Jesus actually says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father is in heaven. So you see, there's a spiritual war going on here. God wants to waken people's minds so that they see that Jesus is the Messiah, and the devil wants to keep it quiet so that people would do anything but believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And so then we come to the end of this chapter, Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some still doubted. And then Jesus says this, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So God wants to open hearts. The devil's trying to keep hearts closed and our eyes deceived from seeing the truth. And Jesus says, I want my people to go in my power because it's going to take my power and to go and make disciples of all the nations and I'm going to be with them even to the end of the age. What does it mean to be a disciple and what does it mean to make disciples? That's what I want us to, to study briefly today, and, and again, this is this is very familiar stuff. In fact, Chris talked on this subject, this passage, a month ago, and and he and I sat in a staff meeting about a month ago, and we planned out preaching calendar that day, and we kind of said, okay, this is going to be the Holy Week series, and after that, we're going to do this, and in between, hey, let's have Nate Jones speak, and and Ben, why don't you speak about disciple-making on this day? And so, that's been the plan, right? But I wasn't going to speak from this passage necessarily because he had just, he had just spoke on it. But then this week at at my micro church, we, again, kind of happenstance, we're in Acts, but we ended up talking about the Great Commission and just breaking it down and asking, what does this mean? And and what is exactly Jesus commanding here? And and God so pricked my heart and kind of, I just felt like said, hey, Ben, this is, this is something that, that you still need to think about. This is something that our church still needs to think about. We, we, drastically overcomplicate christianity don't we i mean there's a lot of great things that churches do and i'm i'm here for them but sometimes in the midst of this ministry and that ministry and this event and that event and all of the stuff that we do we forget that the command the thing that god has said it's as simple as Go and make disciples. That is what we're about at 24 Church. You you could reduce gospel family mission down to this. Be a disciple, make a disciple. That's what we're about as a church. In fact, one of my great fears is that people would spend five, ten years here, love it, plug in, do a lot of stuff, give, and then go away. And I'm, I'm always left asking this question. It's probably not a fair question because God's always doing way more than I can imagine. But like, like I, I'm, I'm asking like did they change? Are, are they a disciple, an even more obedient disciple? Have they become a disciple maker for having spent five, ten years in this church? Or did they just kind of become a consumer of religious goods and services and essentially go away unchanged but with just some good memories? We live in a consumer culture, and our hearts naturally in this consumer culture turn everything into consumerism about how you can meet my needs and how I'm served and what I like and my preferences and all that. And at the end of the day, Christianity is as simple as make disciples. None of it matters if we don't do this. And so I want to point out five aspects in the, in the text today, that I think are really important for this. And, and actually, before I jump into those 5X aspects, I want to make a caveat, okay? Sometimes when we talk about disciple making, I, I'm not sure what people mean. People throughout this term, well, we should be about making disciples, disciple making. And I'm like, I wonder what they mean by that. Because I think some people, when they hear that, they mean the beginning part of Jesus' part of these verses, where Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples. And so they think evangelism. And then other times you hear people say disciple-making, they're not so much focused on that beginning part, go and make disciples, they're more focused on the, baptizing, and teaching. And so they're thinking, well, this is for Christians who already know Jesus. They need to, to be in the Word together, and push one another towards Jesus, and they need to grow in their faith, and mature in their faith, and they need to move from, from milk to meat. And they mean that. And Jesus actually says, here's disciple making. Yes, all of that. And so I was my, my parents were making a disciple when they raised me and brought me to church and I heard the gospel again and again and again and I sat in children's choir and, and I went to Sunday school and I sat in worship gatherings and, when, and when, I went on camps. But then there was this moment when I was seven when God broke into my heart and I was converted and I, I came to see that Jesus was a Lord and Savior for me and that I needed to give my life to him. But it didn't stop there because then when I was like 15 or 16, and it, it, it kept going on the whole way, but I intentionally had a youth pastor who grabbed me along with some other guys and, and he spent every week together with us and he, he continued discipling us and he taught me more about what it means to dig into God's word and how to pray and how to listen for the voice of God. And that's disciple making too. And so I want us to see that it's not evangelism and discipleship. It's, it's all of that. We're to be about all of that. Okay, so let's jump into the five aspects. Um, Here they are. Here's the five things. Um, Five-point sermon today. Uh, The authority aspect, the going aspect, the baptizing aspect, the teaching aspect, and the the presence and the power aspect, okay? That's how my mind works. I'm very, sorry. Um, You you either love that or hate that, but that's how I work. Okay, so the authority aspect first. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We Sometimes we actually start the Great Commission by reading verse 19 and not verse 18. But verse 18 is like really important. Right? Because Jesus, here, here's the way uh, David Platt put it. He said, he says, As Jesus gathers his disciples on the mountain, he doesn't start with a command. He starts with a claim. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, there's no point in making disciples if Jesus is just one option among many. Right? If Hinduism is equally as valid as Buddhism, is equally as valid as Taoism, is equally as valid as Islam, is equally as valid as Christianity, and what really matters is that you're just sincere about your faith and a spiritual person, then there's absolutely no reason that you should make disciples. But if in fact... And that's something we've got to wrestle with, right? Maybe it's easier for you to give your hearty amen to that. Like, ooh, I like preaching like this. Amen. Or maybe you're struggling going, that's actually really hard for me to believe sometimes. I don't know where you're at. But Jesus makes a claim at absolute authority. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. See, Jesus also said, I'm the way. The, not a way, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's because Jesus is claiming to be the only way to God. God, him very self, his, his very self, Jesus, God's son incarnate. All authority has been given to me, he says. It's because of that that then he says, go. Jesus, David Platt again, Jesus' authority compels us to go. For missions only make sense if he has all the authority in heaven and on earth. It begins there. I also want you to see a couple other things before we move on to number two. And that's that when Jesus makes this claim, he's actually fulfilling Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, if you want to turn there, it's verses 13 and 14, but I'll read it for you. But in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Daniel receives this vision about the future, and it's about Jesus. And here's what he pictures. He says, he says I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. I'm going to say to you, that's Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days. That's the Father and was presented before him. And to him, that is the son of man, was given dominion And glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so, when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, he's saying, I am the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. I am the one whom the Father has given all authority and dominion, and I'm gathering for myself a people from every Tongue, tribe, people, and nation. I'm that guy. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that there was for a little time, I'll just read it so I don't butcher it. He says, and ha- he says this Philippians 2, 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, verse 9, God highly has highly exalted him and bestowed on him Hit the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus intentionally put on humility in, when he came to earth and he was among us, among sinful people. In fact, he was so humbled that he was willing to die on a cross for our sins, but now he is risen from the grave and he is highly exalted and there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ Is Lord. And the only way for me to understand that verse is that everybody's going to bow to Him whether they believe in Him or not. Some of us believe in Him or are going to bow and worship. And some are going to be forced to bow and admit that He is God, but they're not going to be in heaven and in eternity with Him. They're going to be separated from Him. But all authority in heaven and earth is His regardless. And he's now proved that and demonstrated that fact by rising from the grave. And I'll add, he doesn't want people to bow forcibly. He wants them to bow and worship. And that's why we've been told to go and make disciples. It's the authority aspect, the going aspect. So let me explain something here. In, in Greek, uh, you can, it's kind of, Kind of nice compared to English. Uh, because everything is written in a certain way. So it gives you more information. So much of English is picked up in context and tone of voice. So like in Greek, for instance, you know that something is a command because it's actually written in a form that lets you know this is a command form. And so the command form, and there's one command in these three verses that we're studying today. And the command is make disciples. Make disciples. So the one command, the thing that Jesus wants us to, to know, hey, I'm commanding you, us today, is make disciples. But then there's three participles that actually help describe what he's meaning by make disciples. So the command, we're all commanded it, make disciples. And, and I just wanna, I want that to land on you. Have you thought about the fact that Jesus commands you and he commands me to make disciples? And that if we're not making disciples, we're not doing basic Christianity. We're not obeying Jesus. We're kind of wasting our time doing all the stuff rather than the thing. So he gives that to us. But here's how he says, now, make disciples, that's command, but there's ways I want you to tell you how that works. Going is a participle, or go. Teaching is one of the participles. Baptizing is one of the participles. So those three words tell us what it means to make disciples. And so there's the going aspect. That's number two. So Jesus says, make disciples, that's command, and here's here's part of how you make disciples. You intentionally go right? So we're sent. We're the sent people of God. We're sent to tell others about Jesus. And there's two ways I want us to think about going. One is God intentionally, and we'll get to this in a minute, but God intentionally lays it on people's hearts like he did in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, and it says, the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas, for the work that he had for them and so Paul and Barnabas were sent to the nations as church planners because the Holy Spirit said I'm sending you you need to go Not all of us are sent to cross-cultural missions in that way but all of us are sent so if we, we all need to wrestle with that. We'll get to that in a second. We all need to wrestle with whether we're not we're sent to the nations. But if we don't feel like we're sent to the nations, we're still sent where we are. What does it mean to be sent where we are? It's, it's, it's a very simple question that I, I, as we talked about it Tuesday night in my MC, I had to go, I don't know if I'm doing that very well right now. And it's this. Am I intentionally making time in my schedule to be around people that don't yet believe in Jesus? Because it's easy to get in the holy huddle. (laughs) Or it's easy to get in the quarantine mindset. And actually, for some of you, it's very easy. You're like, yeah, I'm around some crazy people every day. But maybe not for all of us. And so I'm asking all of us, are we intentionally spending time around people that don't yet believe? And as we are among them, we're trying to be a good witness and we're trying to look for an opportunity to share our lives with them and be bold to share the gospel as God opens doors. That's how we go in our everyday life. That's missional living. I think it was, um, I was one of these missional guys, Alan Hurst. I think Gary Morgan's the one who always says this, and he, I actually remember it from Gary. But he says, he says incarnational, incarnational mission. Is four P's. It's, it's proximity, it's presence, it's powerlessness. That's a weird one. I love it. And it's proclamation. So we intentionally have proximity and presence with people who don't yet believe. So we go where they are, we open our lives up to them, and we get to know their stories, they get to know our stories. Proximity and presence. Then, as we're among them, we're powerless among them. What do I mean by that? We are begging for scraps from Jesus' table just like they are. We are sinners just like they are. We don't have the power to transform their lives. We are not the saviors. We carry the message of the Savior. And so we're powerless among them so that God can see that the power is not in us. We're jars of clay. The power is in Jesus. And then we're bold to proclaim as God opens the door. It's so easy to be a good witness sometimes, but then God open a door and you be scared to walk through it. And what I want to say to you is, don't be scared to walk through the door when God opens it. You've been putting in the time. You've been trying to live as a Christ follower. God opens a door. Be bold to tell them that you're different because of Jesus. Be bold to share with them what he's done in your life. Don't chicken up then and go, I'm so scared. That's the enemy. We're God's ambassadors. God making his appeal from us, his appeal through us. Be reconciled to Jesus. And so have proclamation as God opens the doors. Here's kind of a funny way, but I I just love this. I saw this the other day on Facebook. A friend of mine, Aaron Schwartz, he's a pastor in Nashville, and his wife um, posted this on her Facebook wall. She was up up in the northeast or northwest excuse me visiting family and she said and I'm just going to read her post this is what it maybe could look like this is just a small way right but she said headed back to seattle today from the oregon coast a 6 hour drive turned 9 hours due to road closures right outside portland got into seattle around 11 p.m. asking jesus for food and drink the restaurant bar open next door to the hotel it was open and i was starving Nashville girl ironically had shrimp and grits in the Pacific Northwest. Gave the chef my compliments. Had an awesome impromptu conversation with a guy sitting next to me at the bar, a long-term refugee from Croatia. I asked him many questions about his take on the Russian-Ukraine situation and felt privileged to hear his insight as someone who fled as a 13-year-old in the 90s. Him. This is why, this is what he said, This is why communism and socialism and Christianity do not work. Selfishness, hatred, and stupid people. To which Crystal then responded, Oh, but I disagree. This is why Christianity does work. Because selfishness, hatred, and and stupid people need a Christ. And he said, Oh, well, you have a point. And she said, me walking next door to my hotel in downtown Seattle thinking, I love making friends at bars at midnight and people think that Jesus' life is boring. And it was a small thing. But when the opportunity presented itself to proclaim Jesus, she didn't clam up. She walked through that door in a small way and said, actually, no, I think all the sin is why we need a Christ. Christ. I want to encourage you to do the same. The focus is all the nations, by the way. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, where? To Ponte te ethne. All the nations. So that's the scope. So again, David Platt helps us here again. And he says, today there are, what, what does that phrase mean? It doesn't just mean countries, right? It means people groups. So it, it, refers to tribes, families, clans, peoples, what we call people groups today, he says. He says, today there are more than 11,000 people groups spread throughout the world. So it's about 11,000 in your mind, we think. And as of this writing, which this was about 10 years ago when he wrote this commentary, as of this writing, there's still about 6,000 of them that do not have gospel presence there. They've not yet been reached with gospel. And so Jesus says, that's the focus. And some of you, God is going to call not just to go here, but to go there, wherever there may be, to all the nations. Because there's 6,000 or so people groups that still don't have faithful gospel witness. Nate was telling us about that last week. That means there's not, they don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have a church, really. And they, they, they've never probably heard the gospel. That's what it means to be unreached. And we've actually had a girl in our in our church, Leanne Yule now Leanne Gaddis, and she's overseas amongst an unreached people group in a dangerous place, desperately wanting people to know about the Jesus who has changed her life. And maybe, I, I hate guilt trips, right? So this is not the Ben guilt trip, but maybe God perhaps would so move on some of your hearts that he would call you to the nation's and, and give you the overflowing joy of getting to share with people who are very different from you about how God has changed your life. My, my old seminary president, Gray Allison, who's now with Jesus, said, every Christian should seriously consider whether or not God is calling them to the nations. Every single Christian should seriously consider whether or not God is calling them to the nations. I have two good friends that are in Turkey right now, uh, Joe and Corey Cadden. And he, they said growing up, they were... Baptist kids and they said growing up they kind of hated missionaries because in the Baptist church in the 80's like the missionaries would come in in the African garb and show you all the artifacts and they're like this is just weird and they could never imagine themselves doing that and then they actually spent time with some missionaries and realized they're just very normal people whom God has said I'm going to instead of doing this here you're going to do this there. I mean Joe was a police officer and Corey was a stay at home mom They weren't pastors. And God said, I'm sending you. And they're in Turkey. And so maybe God would send some of you with your skill set and say, I want you to go bear witness for my name amongst the nations. And that would be amazing. Um, Okay, I'm going slow. The baptizing aspect, number three. Here's, Here's another participle that describes what make disciples means. It means going and then as people receive the word, they're baptized. So we have, this, we have this picture in Acts 2. It's a really great picture. But on the day of Pentecost, it says, um, you know, they heard Peter preach about Jesus. And it says, and they were, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it adds later down. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that that day, about 3,000 souls that were saved. And so sometimes we get this verse confused, and in some faith traditions, baptism is directly linked with salvation. And they teach that if you've not been baptized, you're not a Christian. And that's a misunderstanding. Because it says, actually, those who receive the word, then we're baptized. So God saves us, and that's a spiritual thing where he He comes into our heart. We, we, we have repentance, which means I'm going to quit doing what I was doing, and now I'm going to follow Jesus. Repentance and faith. We place repentance and faith, and Jesus comes into our lives. So again, you this morning, you may not have had that experience. You can be religious and not yet have that experience of going, no, I'm giving my life to Jesus. He's now my Lord and Savior. That's what becoming a Christian is. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart, awakens your eyes to see Jesus, and you express repentance and faith. But the natural way that we demonstrate that that has happened is by being baptized. And that's why Jesus commands it. So David Platt, again, he just really helped me make this easy. He says... um, he says, those who, where is it? Let me not get it wrong. Well, maybe I didn't write it down. But this is, this is the natural way that people throughout the Bible responded to faith in Jesus. It, it's, their, it's their coming out party, so to speak. It's like, I want everybody to know. I'm now with Jesus. I want, I want to demonstrate to everybody that I've, I'm following him. And so it's actually disobedience to not be baptized some people are like I'm kind of freaked out by the water and other people are like I'm kind of freaked out by people watching me do this to which Jesus says I'm your Lord and Savior it's no big deal you ought to follow me in baptism and and get dunked and show the world that you've died to who you were and you've risen and I've made you a new person Because, because you can't be a disciple in a corner salt and light city on a hill The world needs to know God has changed your life. So we need to be baptized. Here's a David Platt quote. I don't know if it's the one I was thinking of or not. But he says, making disciples doesn't end when people respond to the gospel. When people turn from their sin to Christ, we baptize them. This is another part of making disciples. We show the word. Baptism is a part of what it means to make disciples because baptism symbolizes identification with the person of Christ and inclusion into the body of Christ. Every disciple is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's significant too. Because by being baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're, we're specifically identifying with Christianity. We're saying we follow a God who has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's one God, but it's three persons, and I'm part of that community. And and actually, guys, side note, our gospel family mission thing has a Trinitarian aspect to it. We don't talk about it a lot, but God the Father adopts us into his family. Jesus is the good news of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit empowers us for mission. And we're baptized in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's the third participle, is that it's the teaching aspect. And this is, again, what we often think about when we think about disciple-making, is we think about, well, I need to grow in my faith. To which I say, yes, you do. And so, a couple questions here. I don't want to kick a dead horse here, but who, who is currently teaching you and helping you to follow Jesus, and then who are you teaching and helping to follow Jesus? Because Jesus said the command is not know all the you for, you do need to know everything I may have commanded but the, the the teaching is actually teaching them to obey, and again, sometimes we can Build up knowledge, 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 knowledge. Never get out the obedience. Jesus says, the command is not teaching so you sound smart. The command is teaching so that you can obey. And so, disciple making. It's not simply what happens in a classroom for an hour or so each week. It's what happens when we walk through life together as a community of faith. Modeling for one another how to follow Christ. We show one another how to pray, how to study God's word, how to grow in Christ, and how to lead others to Christ. This is what Christ's body is about, David Platt. And then I love this from Eugene Peterson. He says, "He says we can't do this by ourselves. Individualism is not an option. We must embrace the formidable difficulties Formidable difficulties involved in spiritual community. There are no instant intimacies in this business. There are no shortcuts. There is no avoiding confusion and disappointment. So if you plug into a microchurch or Bible study or you form your own microgroup, and I want to encourage you, you've got to do that stuff. you you got to. There may not be one that works for you. Start one. Come talk to me. There's more that are, exist that aren't even on the website yet. I want you to plug in to some form of small group spiritual community. I, that's the whole thing. Like, we, we, we absolutely got to have it. But, but as you do that, Eugene reminds us, there is no avoiding confusion and disappointment in those groups. They're full of sinful people. There will be tension People will sin against you. They will make you mad. You'll have to confess your sin one to one another. It will be awkward. There will be the night where one person doesn't know social cues well enough to know that she is dominating the entire conversation and no one else can get a word in edgewise. And the leaders are desperately trying to hush that person up so that everybody can be involved. And it's a learning experience. There's gonna be somebody that confesses a sin, and everybody's like, oh my gosh. I didn't see that coming. I don't even know what to do with that. But we desperately need it. Peterson again. We had better be ready for a lifelong process of demanding ventures and following Jesus into the company of the broken men and women who are also hurrying and hobbling after him. Larry Krabs' says, I want to talk about what it might mean for us to turn our chairs toward each other and pour out the life in our hearts into our brothers and sisters and to let them pour into us. It is sometimes more difficult to receive than to give, but in spiritual communities, people do both. They give and they receive. And then Larry Crab again, a central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls to be torn down, safe enough for each of us to own and reveal our own brokenness. And only then can the power of the connecting of a spiritual community do its job. Only then can community be used of God to restore our souls. And Larry actually argues that that we don't actually even have spiritual community until we're willing to be broken in front of each other. In other words, it's as we grow intimate and as, it's as we take off the mask and we let people into what's going on, our struggles and our pain and our fears, that that's where spiritual community takes place and that that's where we actually begin to grow and know how to pray for each other in a powerful way so that we can begin to observe and follow the commands of Jesus together. And here's the last thing. The presence and the power aspect. Here's how Jesus ends it. He says, and lo, I'm with you, or behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So you cannot do this in your own power. And I am not going to leave you or forsake you. He is with us right now. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in their midst. Jesus is with us right now. And Jesus, as we go into our workplaces or the nations or our neighborhoods or our extended family or anywhere in our community, called to make disciples, be disciples and make disciples. We don't have the power to change hearts. We're powerless, but Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us, and he is powerful. And he will not leave us or forsake us. I want to end with this quote by Platt one more time. It's the Platt sermon. He says this, he says, Be encouraged, follower of Christ. For this mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. This mission is assured based on Christ's presence through his Spirit. He said, when I first came to the church I now pastor, I recall thinking that the church had such potential with all of its gifts and resources. But that's not a biblical mindset. It doesn't matter how gifted a church is or how blessed it is materially, for the people of God can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. However, when the Spirit works among a people, That church can shake the nations for God's glory. We have all these wonderful plans that are from God. We want to care for the orphan and the widow and the addict. We want to start a new Hope Center. We want to buy buses and start a bus ministry. We want to be salt and light people here in Pleasant View. But it does not matter that we have those dreams. It does not matter that we have some folks. It does not matter that we have some resources. God must empower us to do this or it will not happen. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say to this mountain, be moved by faith and it will be moved and cast into the sea. And so I just want to ask you again, again to think about the fact that this command has been given to you and to me, to all of us. And are we actually making disciples? Or are we just caught up in a bunch of religious good things, but not the main thing? Because if we are, we're not really doing anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it teaches us how it challenges us. Lord, I pray right now, if I've said anything that's on my flesh, Lord, let that just pass away. But Holy Spirit, I ask you now to speak strongly, specifically words of comfort and peace and joy and challenge to our hearts and tell us whatever you would have us here. Lord, draw us towards Jesus Lord, may we be disciples, and may we be, in his power, disciple-makers. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.